Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Sourcing Journal Radio, our weekly check-in with apparel insiders and thought leaders, which spotlights a variety of topics currently driving change in the market. This podcast series is made possible by Cotton Incorporated, a not-for-profit company funded by U.S. cotton producers and importers whose mission is to increase the demand and profitability of cotton. Discover what cotton can do. The apparel industry is racing to find more sustainable options for both its inputs and processes. But the reality is, no matter how environmentally friendly those innovations may be, developing them requires investment. So the question becomes, who's financing fashion's sustainable evolution? I am Edward Hertzman, founder and president of Sourcing Journal. And this podcast series is a companion to our Sustaining Voices platform, which celebrates the efforts the apparel industry is making towards securing a more environmentally responsible future. Today, I'm joined by Rogier Van Muzaik, Investment Manager for Fashion for Good, and Luke Henning, CFO of Titan Biosciences, which is taking part in Fashion for Good's scaling program. Together, Rogier and Luke will provide perspectives on what it takes to launch and scale. Welcome, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Great to be here. I want to start out with uh, talking about Fashion for Good a little bit. Fashion for Good's mission is to support sustainable fashion innovation through initiatives like the Plug and Play Accelerator. Can you tell us about that? What was the program's length and what are the primary resources companies gain access to by being part of this? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, this is uh, Roger here from Fashion for Good. So, um, uh, you know, Fashion for Good supports, generally supports innovation in, in, the, in the textile, apparel, foodwear um, space. And we do that globally. So what we, what we do is we focus on sort of disruptive technologies that um, fundamentally change the way that fashion is made, is distributed, is, um, is marketed. And um, and and we try to accelerate those so the, the the piloting the implementation of those technology. We specifically focus on um, on those technology that are sort of technology wise ready and take them out of you know the labs, the testing facilities, the the garages where where they work at smaller scale and try to implement them into the real world. So the real supply chains, often in Asia. Um, and and try to enable piloting and implementation cases. So you know these things can actually be scaled up and actually have an impact in 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 the world of fashion, which is so heavily you know environmentally and and socially um, wasteful at the moment. So we, as you said, we we run a couple of programs. So we run um, the accelerator program and the skating program as the very core of what we do. And um, the accelerator is 
is a program that, that runs a couple of times per year, currently two times a year in two batches, and um, focuses on you know, delivering capabilities of so funding, uh, connections, um, customer leads, business model refinements, um, also you know, legal support or uh, uh, sustainability support to these startups. Um, and that is you know, the expertise that they need in order to, to, to get to advance and, and to grow. Um, this is a program that is, you know, run by, by us internally here in, in Amsterdam. So we expect the innovators to come to this location. And, um, and we, you know, we, we, this is a free program as well for the innovators. So um, uh, innovators are, 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 are um, mostly willing to join us and, and you know, come, come to be, um, you know, heavily supported over these two or three months um, which is the duration of the of the of the program, and then maybe just to um, uh, complement that with the skating program, which is the the other program that we offer, which is more in on um, uh, on invitation basis only. So it's not something you can apply for through our website, but it's uh, it's something that follows out of the accelerator many times, where um, we see the most successful ones that are ready to to really implement at a at a larger scale. Um, we take into the skating program to provide more dedicated support and to drive, you know, growth and adoption rate further. And this is a longer program of um, a year, year and a half even. Understood. So, so your corporate partners have a voice in the innovations you support, which, you know, probably makes these emerging technologies much more relevant to the industry would, would be my understanding. Are you seeing a trend in the type of innovation they're interested in now? And is this interest different from three to five years ago? Yeah. Um, it's interesting because, you know, we, this, this type of innovation in the, in the, uh, in the fashion industry, it hasn't been a long, um, it has been around for so long. So um, it's, it's really a wave of innovation that is coming to, you know, the market, if you will, um, over the last decade. And it's, it's, you know, there isn't really trends going on as such. It's more that innovation in different steps of the supply chain. So you can have, you know, up, upstream innovation. That, that's the type of innovation we support as well. So raw materials or dyeing and finishing innovation that goes really deep into the supply chain up to, you know, new new business models. So new ways to to retail or end of use like like Luke's technology that is that is more on uh, the recycling side. So if, at the very end of of, uh, of of the of the life cycle of a product. Now all these different stages have different innovation categories that are in different phases. So you could say um, it's not so much a trend, but you could say that some of these um, areas get a lot of attention currently because they're right at the inflection point where the technology seems ready. And, you know, the market can actually interact with those technologies on a larger scale. And indeed, you, you know, technologies like Luke's um, are, are part of that, where we really expect something to happen in the next couple of years on a larger scale. So definitely those technologies get more attention from the brands next. You also think it's just uh, more of a mind shift change that in the past, you know, three to five years as well, uh, the consumers as well as the retailers and brands have made this more of a priority. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, this is you know, this is not a conversation we would be having ten years ago. So it's 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 definitely the the, the whole sustainability space as such is is really a new um, trend, you could say, or it's at least you know, it's 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 um, being um, augmented the, um, the 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 level of push and the level of efforts from all stakeholders of the industry has really taken off in the last um, you know decade or so. 
So, so I have one more question, then I, I want to turn it over to Luke quickly. But in in the past, you said that you want to support, you know, radical innovations rather than those that could offer incremental change. You know, what does it mean today? You know, these are buzzwords. What does it mean to be radical or disruptor? Yeah, can you give me like a tangible example of, of of what this means to you? Yeah, I guess it goes back to what the industry really has been doing for the last you know few hundred years, really, which is. Um, is there's always been a focus on efficiency improvements. You know, many of the processes that we see in 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 the production of fashion, apparel, footwear um, have not fundamentally changed over the last century. So um, the efficiency has improved, but you know, never has there been a complete um, overhaul of these of these processes. And uh, at Fashion for Good, we don't like to focus on less bad so um uh, you know just increasing the efficiency by a couple of percentages but really instead focus on innovation that changes innovation from you know it changes these processes from the very core so with the same output but different processes behind it and um you know that happens in all supply chain steps so um take textile dyeing where you know you would normally have a big bath lots of water um, throw in acid dyes, um, mordants, low pH, you know, um, uh, high temperatures. It's not great. And all of the innovation that has been done, or most of the innovation, has been focused on, you know, making that a little bit more sustainable. So less water, um, uh, less temperature rise, so less energy use, all of this. But we have a few innovators that focus on this on the same output, getting that output in a very different way with no water use, for example, you know, using bacteria. Um, so that kind of technology is the type of innovation that we, we would like to support as opposed to the incremental um, initiative. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. So, so Luke, I want to understand a little bit more about, about Titan's innovation. So my understanding is you guys um, recycle fibers using water as a solvent. And that seems that seems pretty radical in itself. And at scale, it could really help the industry take a big step forward to, towards true circularity. Can you tell us about the solution and what recycles blended fiber textiles and, and what's the scope of the issue you're working to solve right now? Thanks um, <clears throat> for that lead in. It, it quite nicely brings us to what we're doing, which is recycling blended textiles, which is one of the big changes. There are solutions for single stream textiles, but blended textiles have proved to be a very big problem and a serious one. And if you think about it, we focus on polycotton, which is about 80% of textile waste is either polyester, cotton, or polycottons. And so it's, it's a massive issue. Now, the other thing that most people don't realize and what makes this radical in a way is that by recycling polycottons and being able to recover chemicals from the polyester and make it into fresh polyester and recover the cotton and make it into cellulosic fiber, we are essentially replacing oil as a primary feedstock going into clothing and we're replacing trees as a primary feedstock going into clothing. I often shock people by explaining that we're going to do tree-free clothing and uh, they're very surprised to find that they're wearing trees, but that is very much the case. So I think the big differentiator here is, as you mentioned, we do use a hydrothermal process and that, and we recover a lot of that water to flow back into the process. So although we do use water as our primary solvent, 
we're very focused on recovery so that you know our net water usage is not uh, as high. The big thing as well is that recycling blended textiles, it's important to be able to recover both fractions. And what I mean by that is we're able to break down the polyester into its basic monomers. So it's TPA and it's ethylene glycol, and then those can be combined into fresh polyester. So we can recover the polyester portion. Then on the cotton portion, we're able to recover that as well, and we can make it suitable for different applications, but one of them being we turn it into a pure form of cellulose that can be turned into a viscose or a rayon or a lyocell. Luke, do you think it's more important to sustainability to create new fibers or to improve the processes of existing production methods? I don't think new fibers is what's needed. I think creating a system where you take the existing fiber and are able to reuse it many times over is much more important. I think creating a closed loop system so that you're not using extractive industries to create the raw materials is much more crucial to the issue of sustainability. You know, I, I read somewhere that, that Titan uses subcritical processing. What does that even mean? So subcritical processing is basically you take a liquid, in this case water, and you heat it up. And when it hits its boiling point, it naturally would go to steam. But if you apply pressure, it doesn't allow it to escape to steam. So it stays in liquid form. And that actually changes the properties of the water and allows it to act as a molecular scissors. And basically, that's where we depolymerize or cut up the polyester back into its monomers. So it's using that to basically chop apart the molecules so that we can get out the component parts. We do add some uh, chemistry to that because we want to keep the temperatures and pressures low enough so that we can recover both fractions. So how long has, has your solution been in development? You know, and you know, what type of investment would be needed to scale and commercialize, uh, you know, your innovation? So we actually were founded in 2011. Uh, but the technology that we use was actually developed for another application. And we've been working on textiles probably for about two and a half years now when we started looking for textiles. In fact, someone asked us to look into this. We did not realize this was a big issue because like many people, we weren't aware of just how much fashion contributed to global you know, greenhouse gas emissions. Once we did become aware and once we discovered that people were interested in such a solution, that was when we really started pursuing this. So it's probably been the last two and a half years that we've been focusing so strongly on textiles. And actually a lot of our introduction and our insight came from fashion for good. Now, the technology that we use is used in other applications, and there is equipment that is currently available in the world that is, in some cases, sitting idle, that we can repurpose and, and re-engineer for our process. So that substantially reduces the cost of implementing this type of solution, and a lot of those assets may sit with some of the existing supply chain partners that we are talking to so that we're able to roll the solution into the existing supply chain 
so it, it flows naturally so the end users can see less of a difference and they just see the raw materials they're used to getting a big focus for us in changing this industry was to focus on creating virgin equivalent inputs because that way it's a seamless change and we can drive real big change quickly. I want to continue the conversation around funding and investment. Rogier, does it matter if a company's innovation addresses a current buzzword? You know, like for instance, if, if you're trying to preserve clean water um, and now conservation is such a, such a big part of uh, the conversation, does that help a, a, a company like Titan funding? You know, does this help peak investors' interest? Yeah, I, I mean, we can we can also ask this to uh, to Luke, of course, what his experience is there. But I I, I think um, you know this is not so much about the the fashion industry; it's more about um, the art of rhetoric, right? In in addressing um, groups of of corporate clients that you you might be talking to, or or investors in that case, um, and and how to convince them that this proposition fits their mandate. Um, so I I actually wouldn't say. Um, I wouldn't say no to this as an answer to this. I I, I do think it makes a difference, um, especially in this space, because this is a space that many investors are not very familiar with. As Luke said, you know, there's 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 a lot of people that that are not really aware of the, of, for example, the greenhouse gas emissions of this industry, but also the 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 amazing amazingly high water use, or you know the the sort of closing the loop problem that almost zero percent of of what we make in in the fashion industry is recycled at the moment, at least not textile to textile. So all of these different issues aren't so. Um, uh, you know, widespread knowledge with with the investor base. So I would say helping them a little bit in um, in seeing how this fits into their mandate, because some of these investors might have, you know, um, emissions like reducing CO2 or um, reducing the, the plastic um, uh, waste problem in the world or, you know, indeed circularity. So sometimes you can you can make your innovation um, as a venture, you can make your technology fit into that mandate a little bit. And that mandate can actually be stretched sometimes because, you know, there aren't so many true circularity propositions, investment propositions out there. So some of some of these investors might also, you know, go out of their way a little bit to fit it in. So I, I do actually think it makes a difference to, to be aware of those um, you say buzzwords, but you know those those side of sort of um, uh, pockets of of interests or of mandates of these investors and how to how to address them optimally. So, so you bring up a good point. You know, this is this is not as you know uh, maybe attractive or on the radar as like an Uber or a, you know a Instagram would be for most uh, you know typical VCs. Um, it's very very niche. So, so, so Luke, um, what are some of the challenges you know Titan Bio has faced? With securing funding, and you know, I have to imagine there's several phases um, for a company like yours. So, right, you know, you have the initial research phase. You need you need you need dollars to to get that off the ground, and then as you build your business, you need money to scale and really go to market. So, can you just talk to me about you know, a the challenges, and then b what's funding like through each of those phases? Certainly. So, we were very lucky and successful in securing a lot of grant funding in the beginning and getting a very solid group of angel investors who were had were very passionate about sustainability and so that helped us through the initial research and technology phases and 
we would not have got through without those. I would say that there's definitely investment cycles where, you know, as Rahir alluded to, tech goes through cycles where some things are in fashion, as it were, to invest in, and some things are out of fashion. So it's about making sure that you fit within people's mandates. As we go to the stage we're at now, the biggest challenge we've found is probably that a lot of the traditional tech ventures, even the ones that are investing in hard tech as opposed to um, software and the technology you alluded to there, just aren't necessarily aware of the issue that's in fashion or aren't comfortable with fashion supply chains. Um, And equally, they just have not really understood how much of a market demand there is and a pull from the market for solutions. And I think they're also looking for the brands and the industry to show some some leadership here and have some skin in the game, you know, put some real capital at risk to show that they are invested in these solutions. Now, that's kind of a challenge for a really mature industry like apparel because they have a comparatively low risk tolerance compared to tech, mobile, healthcare. You know, they've been focused very much on incremental improvement, as Rahir alluded to earlier, rather than looking for substantial innovation or step changes. But uh, we are definitely seeing some good news here in that some brands are really starting to do that with their own venture arms or of their own balance sheet. We see the likes of Patagonia investing, Adidas investing, H&M. I think that's that's a very positive sign. And I think corporate investing is going to continue to pay, play a significant role in funding this next stage of the industry. So, you know, the question for both of you guys, you know, in your experience, is it easier to secure funding in the, in the, in the early stages when it's more of an idea? You know, I know you said, Luke, you, you know, you were able to secure grants. Is, is that an easier way to go or do you have to really wait till it's later in development and you could prove, you know, proof a concept and that it's scalable? And, and like you said, or is this just something that the industry is going to have to embrace? They're going to have to invest in because maybe it's just not a multiple. Uh, they can't, you know, VCs can't get a multiple on it like they can with uh, with an app or a te- or a tech play. If I may jump in here, I feel that there is a feeling of that among some of the traditional ventures, but what they're somewhat not realizing is just that's why it's important to relay just the scale of this problem. Yes, you may have lower margins. You may have, you know, more investment, higher investment thresholds. But these are massive problems with insanely huge markets that you're trying to address. I mean, in the US, where I'm based currently, you're talking about 16 million tons of textile waste is discarded every year. And a tiny fraction of that is recovered. The vast majority is either going to landfill where someone's paying to literally bury it in the ground or they're burning it, neither of which is in any way, shape or form sustainable. And I think once people realize just how much 
money there is in this industry in a way, or they could see that there is actually scope for very significant multiples to be made by the venture capital fund. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I I think this is a space that has been because it's new, because it's unknown to to investors, um, because there haven't been any, been many unicorns. Maybe you know you you were referring to to Uber and and others earlier. Um, if we would have a couple of Ubers in our space, that would significantly help drawing the the attraction of um, or drawing the attention of of investors to this um, to to this field. But I I do think it's currently being overlooked by by investors completely because the 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 number of funds um, focusing on you know things like battery tech or um, or just software is 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 the, the proportions are so much different versus you know what we see in our space. There's only um, not even a handful of of venture capital funds that are dedicating their efforts um, to this to this space, and yet there is so much opportunity. This is a you know multi-trillion uh, dollar industry, so there's 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 all the reason to uh, to increase the the um, the efforts on it. So other than maybe a lack of awareness or, or maybe education to the VC community about the, 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 the scale and the opportunities for apparel and footwear-related innovations, is there any other challenges that you think are, are preventing companies um, like yours, Luke, or other, other like, like-minded companies from securing funding? I think you alluded to it in a way, Rakir, um, and that is that, you know, you see the high profile, you know, of like Uber, and Lyft and all of these companies, what most people are immediately looking at that, but what they forget is how many, you know, tens of thousands of bets went nowhere, where this is a much smaller field, but the bets are more likely to be successful. And so explaining to people that piece is different, but also, you know, a lot of the people who made money with someone like Uber, um, you know, they were early stage investors who made the real money and they were able to come in with tiny amounts of money because it's much easier to scale software than it is to scale hard tech. And Uber's still uh, losing billions of dollars, so it's it's still <laughs> to be seen if that's uh, if that's going to be a long term business uh, that's 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 sustainable. But no, no pun intended, but. <laughs> no, true, and and but I, I do think there's there oh, naturally there are um, differences between you know the sort of Uber investment category and what we do here. And as Luke said, you, you know, scalability is one thing. It's also just a, the the period you need to to scale something. You know, to get out of a out of the lab phase into um, the the scaling phase where you you're you know selling a product and and scaling into into different geographies uh, the 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 long lead times here compared to software are definitely um, something that requires different mindset from capital so we don't see you know software we uh, also, we are not focusing on 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 converting software um, focused money into this space. It's more, you know, the the sort of clean tech investors, the 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 investors that have a longer time horizon are comfortable with longer lead times and higher capital intensity that often comes with these kind of hard technology um, uh, plays. The other thing that's very true here in terms of the investors is a lot of. Companies like ours are actually very purpose and mission focused. And so you 
also need investors who are purpose and mission aligned. And that is, we really, truly want to make a difference to sustainability of the planet itself. And I think if you don't find investors who are committed to that, you're going to have a huge clash with your investors as you scale and as you grow, because they'll be looking for more short-termism versus patient capital and people actually looking to solve a real problem. So we're seeing much more interest from purpose funds and mission-focused funds than we are from traditional VC. So you just kind of stole my next question is that, you know, if the typical investment strategy for a lot of these funds is, you know, throwing darts and hoping one becomes a unicorn, um, I, I don't want to generalize uh, the investment strategy, but but like like you, you alluded to, there may not be an emotional attachment to a lot of the investments. Um, if you're mission-driven, um, not only are you trying to make a financial gain, but you're actually trying to make an impact on the environment or society. So, so you're probably an organization like yours is more willing to take the, you know, um, it's more of a marathon and less of a sprint. You're in it for the long haul. And, and that probably benefits companies, uh, like Titan and like-minded companies like that, because it, it probably takes a, a while to develop and to scale and to get to get buy-in from some legacy brands and new brands. And so, it, it, it's this is just probably the, the nature of the beast we're working with in our industry. I would definitely say that's true. So, so Luke, I, a question for you. You know, kind of playing off of that, what aspects of of working with with with, with the accelerator? were most valuable to Titan? I would start by saying we got an an incredible amount of value from working with Fashion for Good. I think just from providing industry knowledge and understanding of the space, because we did not come from fashion or from apparel, that was incredibly useful. But then creating access through their partnership network and profiling us. They allowed us the opportunity, afforded us the opportunity of, you know, presenting, well, having a booth at the Copenhagen Fashion Summit last year. They helped us get to present at Planet Textiles, at various profiling events where we could get our awareness of our solution out into industry and then directly through access to their partnership network. And that has spawned a plethora of really important conversations for us. It's also allowed us to gain much deeper insight into this industry and refine our own thinking, our own business model, and in a way, tailor our solution so we were more fitting the ultimate end client. So it's been incredibly useful. And then to touch on the financing aspect, you know, having people like Rahir who have a finance background there, you know, when it did come time to, you know, be looking at terms from potential investors and, you know, understanding what's market and what isn't, it's very useful to have a sounding board who's independent and can provide really helpful, thoughtful, 
mentoring advice on things like fundraising? Oh, thanks, Luke. <laughs> so, so one last question, Rogier. What do the companies that have found success post-accelerator have in common? Ooh, um, well, our accelerator, first of all, isn't that old. So we we have existed for two years, and it so it might might be a little early to you know draw conclusions now based on you know empirical evidence. We do have seventy or seventy five companies now in the program, so there's a there's a little bit of evidence to to draw from. Um, I, I guess as a venture. You know, you most of our of our these technologies are pre-revenue, right? They're they're still developing something they want to pilot and implement eventually. So, as a venture, you're getting funded only for so long. You get funded for uh, a year or two, and you need to make it happen in that period. You know, to get some sort of um, uh, proof points on implementation, or a couple of orders, or at least a couple of pilots. If you don't, then how do you do the next fundraise? Um, so. That is that is very important, but but then there's these brands and and Luke also said it. You know, they this industry operates on different timelines because they they're not used to um, working with innovation, at least not in the in the last decade. So you know, they they can be some of these um, uh, retailers, some of these brands, especially downstream, they can be interested for for years, but nothing really happens, nothing really gets off the ground. So um, they therefore are in a in a good position to. To, to, to kill these startups in a way, to kill these efforts and in a very slow death. Um, so it's, that, that makes it a little bit difficult if you have something that is, um, you know, very attractive in, in theory, but you can't implement it because of the, 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 you know, the lack of coordination or the implementation complexity. So therefore, I would say the ones that we now see have the quickest results, you know, positive results, are the ones who have been getting engagement from the supply chain so either upstream with the manufacturers and or with the brands very quickly and those are mostly the ones that are easy to implement um, so you know plug and play solutions that are just providing a new um, say you know bio-based dye stuff that fits right into the current dyeing process or something like that that doesn't require a lot of you know cross supply chain coordination with different manufacturers and different brands and it, that that normally um, requires a longer timeline. So I, I, I would think, you know, based on the evidence we have so far, that would probably be my answer, that, um, you know, make it easy to implement your solution and it's, it's, it, is, it is easier to, to find success in the, in the short term. And I guess another way to, to address this, you know, try to also be um, uh, finding application areas for that technology um, outside of the fashion industry uh, in parallel with focusing on the fashion industry. So some of these um, chemicals or those kind of solutions also have application areas like cosmetics or um, maybe automotive textiles. And maybe those, those, those um, supply chains are used to working with innovation in a, in a, in a quicker way or, you know, are, are, are therefore a good avenue to, to implement and, and get to revenue quicker. I think you make a very valid point, and and probably even more more the reason why you have to be with you know a like minded uh, financial partner because anyone that knows this this business knows that whether you're trying to onboard a new mill or you're trying to sell a, a data you know a service provider into a retailer, 
you could have a six, 12 month, 18 month sales cycle. There's so much process. There's so many decision makers. There's so many layers. Um, it's a very, very frustrating uh, sales process. Um, and I think that you know some of the more agile, digitally native startup companies are quicker to to implement new technologies, uh, whatever they may be, because there's just less people, uh, less politics. But I think that you're absolutely right. It takes a very, very long time for adoption. And if you don't have uh, partners that are willing to to back that. Uh, it could be challenging. You could have uh, the world changing ingredients sitting right in your your in your office, and it could take you years to get anyone to use it. Yeah, agreed. So, guys, I, I really appreciate your your time today, and, and we hope to have you back on the show uh, again soon. For for anyone out there that that wants to contact you or that has any questions, what would be the best way for them for them to reach you? Uh, let's let's start, Luke. If is there a LinkedIn or a Twitter handle or something that they could or an email? What what What's the best way for them to find you? The best query email is just info at titanbio.com. So that's T-Y-T-O-N-B-I-O.com. That's probably the easiest for general queries. Um, Otherwise, you're welcome to reach us at TitanBio on Twitter. We're also relatively active on there. Otherwise, you know, I'm very active on LinkedIn, so you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, I would, I would, I would say same for us. Um, I mean, LinkedIn is good, but we have, we are covering all channels. So, um, Insta, Facebook, um, Twitter, we we have it all. But maybe start with the website fashionforgood.com. Um, that that gives you a lot of resources, further reading, um, also tours of our museum that we have here in Amsterdam. So there's a lot of uh, resources on there. Well, thank you again, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you. Cool, thanks. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.